what a beautiful thing to see the generations, the legacy of faith being passed out and to hear an, a patriarch, an older man, just pour out his heart before the Lord. Uh, this is how we learn to pray. We learn to pray by listening to people who know how to pray and pray from years of walking with Jesus. I want to welcome those who are watching online. I'm so glad you're meeting with us and all of us. I want to ask you to uh, encourage you to join us in praying uh, for our church, for leadership in our church, for various ministries. If you go to the app, the Fellowship Bible Church app, um, you'll get a, a notification every, each and every day about 9.03 in the morning, our zip code here, or area code rather, and you'll be able to join us in prayer, the p- particular prayer focus each and every time. And I want to say, this is the time of year when a lot of people are beginning to figure out what their salary has been. If you're in sales, in some kinds of uh, occupations, you're just not sure till the end of the year. Some of us are receiving bonuses. And I simply want to encourage you in terms of year in giving to the global ministry of Fellowship Bible Church. And thank you for the way you're so faithful in being generous, being a steward of God's word and of his resources. And by the way, I'm really glad that my... F- my daughter, Sarah Owen, my son-in-law, Dr. Clayton Owen, and my grandson, Zeke Ezekiel Owen, are here. Would you guys stand up and let us just welcome you? So glad they're... <laughs> Ruthie took Zeke yesterday out to Bear Creek to see those longhorns. And he said, Paw, they snot a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> they do. But it's been, it's been a real joy to, uh, to have them with us at this time. And let me just say a word about the transition team. We have met two times. Uh, would you pray for us as we meet next week again and begin to look at the results of a church health survey that some of you have participated in? I hope that you'll uh, please pray for the transition team and for us as we, as we assess the wonderful things that God has done and look at some of the challenges that we have as a church. All right, we're in Philippians chapter 4. All the last three or four months, we've been looking at uh, the book of Philippians, going verse by verse, and we call this joy in troubled times. Today, Paul is wrapping things up. He is sitting in prison in Rome, but he loves the people of this church, and his heart is with them. And he has some things that he really wants them to hear, and so he wraps up his letter in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. He's already talked about repairing strained relationships. He's talked about not worrying, but praying about everything, about being grateful. He's talked about finding a way to rejoice in the Lord. He reminds them that the Lord is near. All the things that Slade talked about uh, last week as he taught from this text. And now he comes to this. Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and see in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is God's word. Several weeks ago, some of us on staff attended a conference where a medical doctor talked about the amazing discoveries of in, in brain research, what's happening in our brain. What we learned was that our brains, each one of our brains has 80 billion brain cells. 
80 billion. And that's only a hint of the complexity because each one of those cells sends out connecting tendrils, thousands of connecting tendrils to neighboring cells. So what you've got in your brain, those three pounds of flesh between your ears, is 80 billion times 10,000 connecting tendrils and what we are told is that our brain has an amazing capacity. In fact, there's more capacity in our brain than all of the television, radio, internet, um, um, work, in the entire world combined. What you have between your ears is an amazing thing. We have the ability to imagine a universe where time bends. We have the ability to create complex, beautiful pieces of music. We have the ability in what God has given to us to actually think the very thoughts of God after him. We can have the mind of Christ. It's an awesome thing that God has given to us in our brain. Jesus was once asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? And he said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. He's quoting from the Old Testament. He's quoting from Deuteronomy 6, which is called the Shema, which that's a word that means hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord God, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul. But Jesus adds something that's not in the Old Testament. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. What does that mean? Love God with all of your mind, using the amazing tool that God has put in each one of our, our lives. To love God with all of your mind. I think it at least means this. Your mind belongs to God. He claims your mind, and you actually have the ability to love Him with all of your mind. This is something as a believer that you can do. At least it means that. You're not a victim of whatever thought comes running through your mind. None of us are spectators watching these thoughts roll across the screen. We have the ability to direct our thoughts, to tell our thoughts where to go. We have the ability to determine what it is we think about. We're not victims. We're not spectators. If you were given the opportunity to drive a high-performance car in the Indy 500, for some of us that would be a dream. Would you fill that car up with unleaded, low-octane gasoline at your neighborhood thrifty discount gas station? I think you would not. If you had the consuming ambition to run a, the marathon in the next Olympics in Paris 2024, and you were consumed with the idea that you were going to run a marathon, would you go into an all-Twinkie diet between now and then? Probably wouldn't. See, we tend to be real serious about what we put in our cars. We're real serious about what we feed our children, the fuel that we use for them. We're real serious about what we feed our pets, and we're pretty serious, many of us, about what we put into our bodies. You walk through Facebook, you're scrolling, and there's some ripped guy, and he says, the secret to health is high-carb, low-fat diet. And then you scroll on down and it says, no, no, the secret is high protein, fat's okay, no carbs at all. And you scroll on down and someone says, the secret of health is the right percentage, 30, 30, 40. And someone else says, the secret is to avoid sugar at all costs. 
I think the secret of health is Mexican food myself. <laughs> But people are serious about what they put in their cars because they know the performance of their cars depends on the fuel that you put in. People are really serious about what we put into our bodies, some of us, because we know our health and well-being depends on what we put into our bodies. And yet, we play fast and loose with the same concept in terms of our mind. When Paul writes this, there are two assumptions that he has in mind. Here's the first one. You are what you think. You are what you think. One of the great psychological discoveries of the last century is that our thoughts determine behavior. And if you want to change your life, then change the way you think. In fact, Christian psychologist Archibald Hart wrote, research has shown that one's thought life influences every aspect of one's being. Kind people are simply the kind of people who habitually tend to think kind thoughts. Angry people are simply the kind of people who habitually tend to think thoughts that breed resentment and hostility. In other words, the single most important thing that shapes you as a person is the way that you think and what you think. The way we think creates our attitudes. The way we think shapes our emotions. The way we think affects our behavior. And the way you think has a whole lot more to do with who you are as a person and how vulnerable you are to disease. Social scientists just are now coming to understand what the writers of Scripture has known, have known for thousands of years. And that's why Paul says in Romans 12 too, don't be shaped by this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When you became a Christian, God did not bypass your mind. The way He transforms our lives is He renews our mind. And to be a Christian and to grow as a Christian means we adopt a certain kind of mindset. We think a certain way. We allow certain thoughts in our minds and we exude, ex, uh, remove other thoughts from our mind. Proverbs says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. The same writer wrote, guard your heart with all diligence for it determines the course of your life. And in the Bible, in the Old Testament, your heart was the organ not only of feeling, but thinking. That's why Jesus said, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. All those verses are talking about what is going on inside of us. As Christians, we live from the inside out. We live from the inside out. And what Jesus says is that when our thoughts are healthy, when they're sound, we tend to have a certain kind of life. A good life, he calls it. A good tree produces good fruit. When our thoughts are destructive and sinful, diseased, they're unhealthy, we cannot live a good life. You are what you think. And there's a second assumption that Paul has when he writes these words, and that is called, the. some people call it the law of exposure. Your mind will think about most what it's most exposed to. What your mind is exposed to what enters your mind repeatedly, what you dwell on. We have our thought, right now, we're all thinking. Thousands of different things. Some of us are thinking about our kids. Some of us are thinking about what we're going to do after, after church. Some of us are thinking about our jobs. Some of us are thinking about school. All that's fine, but what your mind dwells on is what you habitually, habitually expose it to. It's as inevitable as the law of gravity. No one is shocked when you drop an egg on the concrete and you go, oh, it's splattered. Who would have thought of that? No, we, we assume that the law of gravity is true. The same thing is true of the law of exposure. Let me tell you why I say that. Because we put, we put in our mind what we dwell upon 
inevitably fills our mind and it comes out in our life. Children in our day are exposed to thousands of acts of violence on TV. Even more graphic in video games and movies. Violence is glorified in our culture. And then we're shocked when a fight breaks out at a ball game or when an entire community in Michigan is devastated because of a school shooting. We're flooded with sexual images from screens and phones and terminals and magazine covers. Sexually explicit messages and images are sent not only to adults, not only to teenagers, but to little children in front of a computer who have no idea what they're getting into. We get bombarded by this stuff all the time, our minds. Then we're surprised when promiscuity goes up and sexual addiction is rampant and marital fidelity goes down. It's the law of exposure, and it's, it's inevitable. Your, remi- your mind will reflect the environment you put it in. Your mind is like a sponge. If I had a sponge and I put it in crystal clear water, it would soak up that water, and if I squeezed it, what would come out would be crystal clear water. If I take a sponge and I put it in muddy water, pick it up, and squeeze it, what will come out? Muddy water, the brain is the very same thing. What we expose ourselves to fills our minds and eventually will come out. Let me give you an illustration. Years ago, Ruthie and I went to a hockey game many, many years ago when we were first married. And to be honest, it was the kind of hockey game I liked because teeth get knocked out and there are fights in the stands. And, um, so we went down to the concession stand afterwards and after 70 minutes of hockey, there was a little bit of aggression there in front of the concession stand. There was this little old lady, it seemed like a really nice lady, who wedged herself in front of us in line. And we said something, we said, ma'am, you're cutting in line. And she said things that would make a sailor blush. I'll never forget the look on her face when Ruthie clotheslined her. No, it didn't happen. But I think you get the point. (laughs) Whatever our mind is exposed to tends to fill our mind and come out. And you're not immune to this law. None of us are. It's amazing how people often think, well, it doesn't apply to me. I can read this material. I can watch these images. I can listen to these words. I can, they really don't affect me. They go in one ear, out the other ear. But a lot of people are coming to realize today that what the writers of Scripture have known all along is that what we expose our minds to fills our minds and tends to come out. So young teenage girls look at enough movie covers and enough screen images of unbelievably thin models who are paid outrageous sums of money to be unnaturally thin, and then they're interviewed as if they're the model in the height of what is desirable. So is there any surprise that we have a generation of young women who are saying to themselves, I'm not thin enough, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not desirable enough. I'm never going to be wanted enough. I'll never be loved enough. An entire generation of young women are growing up like this. Our son came back from Spain uh, for a stateside assignment, and one of the first things he said to me as we were just beginning to talk and debrief, he said, Dad, people are so angry. They're so angry here. You're thinking about the people around you, anxious, depressed, Violent, obsessed with sexual material, consumed by jealousy and bitterness and fear and material 
possessions, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Now here's the good news. You can make this work for you. If you and I want to become a certain kind of person who is noble and honorable and respectable and worthy of praise, it begins with the way that we think, which is why Paul writes these remarkable words. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Friends, can you imagine what our culture would be like if people thought this way? Can you imagine what social media would be like if it was filled with things like this? In verse 9, there's only one action word. There's one verb. It is the word think. Think. It's the Greek word logizomai. Everybody say logizomai. Logizomai. It can be translated to ponder, to ruminate, to focus, to mull over, to value, to reckon, to calculate. It's really an accounting word. To dwell on. My favorite translation is to marinate. Just soak yourself, immerse yourself in these things. Well, what is, the, what is Paul tell us that we are to think about? Let's just walk through that list just quickly. He says, think about things that are true, not false, not bogus, things that are authentic, real, things that correspond to God's revealed truth. And I don't have to tell you that our culture is bombarded by lies and falsehoods. Everyone knows. No, not really. Of course we know. No, we don't know that. You watch TV and if and you're told if you wear a certain kind of perfume, you will be desirable. If you drive a certain kind of car, you're classy. After our girls graduated and were gone, we still had the boys at home. And one night I said to the boys, I said, we were watching a commercial and was going through that kind of thing. And I said, guys, next time we see a commercial that's just absolutely bogus and false, let's together say these words. Who are you kidding? Who are you kidding? Think about what's real. 90% of the things that we worry about do not happen. They are unreal. My grandmother was a world-class worrier. One time I said, Grandma, why do you, Granny, why do, why do you worry so much? She said, well, if I don't worry, who will? Paul says, fill your mind with what's true. That's one reason, by the way, to read Scripture, because whatever God's Word says is true. Whatever it teaches about life and anything related to life, it's true. Whatever God's Word says about my situation, it's true. His promises are true. All of, God, all of truth is God's truth, wherever you find it. Honorable, he says, worthy of respect, dignified. It's a word that's used of deacons in 1 Timothy 3. It's a word that's used of older men in Titus 2. Lofty. Think about things that are lofty. At Thanksgiving, we were, Clayton and Sarah invited us into their home, and um, they invited also Clayton's dad, Johnny Owen. And as we sat down at the Thanksgiving meal, Clayton said to Johnny, would you, would you do the Thanksgiving blessing? Would you pray? And Johnny Owen, how old is he, Clayton? 78. Just like Bob Coleman, bowed his head, and he thanked God for the freedom that he has in this country. 
He thanked God for his family. He thanked God for his church. He thanked God for Jesus and salvation that we have in Jesus. He thanked God for his word. He thanked God for people who are, are serving. Thank God for a, a great meal. And when he said amen, I thought, that is lofty. That was honorable. That was worthy of dignity. The way that Johnny Owen prayed at Thanksgiving. Now contrast that with Prince Harry. You know, royal family, cheating scandals, known for passing out drunk in clubs all over London, sexual escapades, and it's always a scandal. Why? Because you don't expect royalty to act like that. And brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, you are royalty. You are the son and daughter of the king of the universe. And that's why it strikes us as strange. So he says, think about things that are honorable. You know, the average TV that tell us is, is on and being watched five hours a day. I read one statistic that said we look at our phones 80 times a day. You read your Bible five minutes a day. You watch 55 hours of television a day. You're in front of a screen 80 times, perhaps. Which one is going to shape you more? Five minutes in the Bible or the bombardment from everything coming on, on the inside? Paul is saying you've got to take control of your mind. You can determine what thoughts you think. Think about things that are honorable. He mentions things about, think about things that are right, just, Used of weight, this term was used of weights and measures. You would put whatever you would buy, grain, on one side of a scale, and then you would put weights on the other side, and you wanted to make sure those weights were exactly right. A lot of injustice in our time and in our culture. world is filled of it. And to think about what is just, it's countercultural. Pure, think purebred dogs, not mixed, not tainted with evil. I think it really pertains to moral purity. And in a media-saturated world, this is a really hard one. This is tough. Someone said our thoughts are like water. They tend to flow downhill. What do you allow your mind to fantasize about? What thoughts and words that should have been forgiven years ago you still replay in your mind? Lovely. It's a word that means beautiful, pleasing, not what is ugly. Things that are captivating, things that breathe life into you. This is the audience participation time of the sermon, okay? I want you to turn to the person beside you and say, here's what lovely, here's an example of lovely. Here's something lovely. Go ahead and turn it. If you have any idea, this is what's lovely. Friday night, we took Zeke, our sixth our first grader, and we walked through Ellis Nursery. Which, which direction is that, Ellis Nursery? You're as confused as I am. <laughs> With all the lights and watching his face as he walked through those lights and posed for pictures, it was lovely. The lights were lovely. I went to bed that night with those images of those lights in, in my mind. Whatever breathes life into you, commendable, positive things that God approves of. He's not talking about positive thinking here. Things that God approves of. And then he sums up what he's saying in two phrases. Excellent and praiseworthy. Excellent means whatever is consistent with God's character. And praiseworthy is things that you can praise God about. Whatever God approves of. It's a summary of the entire list. 
what's consistent with God's character and what does he approve of. Because the decisive factor in what you become, how you live, is how you think, what you fill your mind with. Why do wicked people do wicked things? Psalm 14 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Verse 2 says, they do abominable things. Wrong people think wrong thoughts. They dwell on wrong things in their mind. What if Apple invented a screen that we could actually put our thoughts up on? Why are you groaning right now? What if your thoughts could be projected on that screen from this last week? Would we say, that is praiseworthy, that's honorable, that's pure, that's right, that's just, that's true, it's commendable? Or would it, we say just the opposite of those things? That's untrue, that's unholy, that's unjust, that's impure, that's ugly, that's of ill repute, that's vicious, that's blameworthy. What Paul is saying is this, when our minds are filled with sorrow, discouragement, distressed, take control of our thoughts, stop listening to ourselves, and start talking to ourselves. Preach the gospel to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself. Call to mind the truths that you need that remind you of God's faithfulness and God's sufficiency and how much he loves you. This doesn't happen automatically. We don't drift into godly thinking. It's a battle. It's a battle for every one of us. Everything in in our culture wages war against thoughts that are like Paul described. Think about the velocity, the speed at which information and ideas and technological intrusion just invade our life. I mean, how hard is it to stop and just think about your life in light of God's Word? How hard is that? We are so busy. Richard Foster, a great teacher of the spiritual life, said the greatest spiritual enemies today are noise, hurry, and crowds. I think today he'd add social media to the list. Our minds get so congested with chirping and notifications and incoming messages and emails. Sometimes we feel like we're drowning in it. So what do we do? What do we do? Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 10, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Strongholds are mental patterns that we default to when we're not tied up with something. What we're, our mind tends to go to, strongholds, patterns. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. They demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. How do you do that? How do you take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ? And right now, we've got thoughts going in through our minds right now. I want to mention two things. Lots of ways to do it. Number one, monitor your mind. Ask God's help that you become aware of the thoughts that are rolling around in your mind habitually because we slip into these mental patterns. We're not even aware of it. You wake up tomorrow morning... What's your first thought? I have so much to do today. I will never get it done. I have to meet with that person today. You can choose to go that direction. 
Or you can love God with all of your mind and you could say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I didn't make this day. I didn't make me. This day is a gift from God to me. And I'll give you a simple test to help us to monitor our mind. Romans 8, 6 says, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Ask this question. What I'm thinking about right now, is it leading to life and peace? Or is it hostile to God? The thoughts I'm having, are they leading to life and peace? Just going through your day, ordinary thought comes in your, I'm aware, I'm monitoring my mind. Is this leading to life and peace? Next time you're in a car, you get cut off. What kind of thoughts run through your mind? Are they excellent? Praiseworthy? Honorable? Maybe that person just is going to the hospital with an emergency. Maybe they didn't see me. Maybe that person who cut me off is having a bad day. Hard to believe, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can think those things. Or you can say that person is pond scum, and they should not exist, and they need need to be hurt deeply, and I hope I'm the one who gets to do it. You can control what you think, and you'll behave accordingly. It's that simple. Not easy, but that's simple. You just start saying, what thoughts are running through my mind? Holy Spirit, these thoughts are in my mind. I don't want them to be there. I'm going to put my thought somewhere else. I'm going to replace the thoughts that are there. And this is really humbling. If you become aware of what you're thinking, it's, it is so humbling. I have really bad thoughts that run through my mind sometimes that I'm ashamed of. But because I don't know you folks very well, I'm not going to tell you what they are. So I'm not going to do it. I think you're the same. We just need to be aware of what we dwell on. And here's the second suggestion. Pay attention to the law of exposure. I mean, just get intentional about what you put in your mind, what you feed your mind. Expose your mind to whatever books or podcasts or websites or people or music or conversations that are honoring to God, that are praiseworthy in His sight. Martin Luther said one time, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. The Bible is so real. The Bible is so down to earth. It's just purposeful, daily, intentional living. Let your mind daily, intentionally dwell on these things. Let God's word rework your mind. Acquaint yourself with Christian writings and podcasts that exalt Jesus and build you up and give you encouragement because God's given his word for the transformation of our minds so that we can think about what's pure and right and lovely and honorable and true. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. What does it mean to meditate? How do you meditate? If you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. You really do. You take one thought and just turn it over and over in your mind. It's the positive side of of worrying. And you dwell on that one thought. You meditate. Then he will make his way prosperous. Then he will have good success, Scripture says. Just memorize it. Are we going to fail? Are we going to relapse? Are we going to get angry and jealous and bitter and lustful? Yeah, we will. So what are you going to do? How are you going to recapture your mind? How are you going to take it captive to obedience to Christ? Proverbs 24, 16, the godly may fail seven times, but they will get up again. 
there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. This is how Jesus lived. Jesus would get into solitude sometimes so that he didn't have those incoming messages that would take his mind where it shouldn't go. And Jesus saturated himself with God's word because he knew it's God's word that transforms our lives by renewing our minds. And if Jesus, the Son of God, lived this way, why should we think we're going to be any different? And by the way, verse 9, I'm wrapping this up. Verse 9 gives us another tool. He says, what you have learned, received, and heard, and seen in me, seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul says, watch me. I'm sitting in a dungeon. My back is bleeding and raw, and we're singing hymns. We've taken control of our mind. We're taking thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. Watch me. And I think the, the application today is find someone who is better at faith than you are and learn from them. Find a mentor. Find a model. Find an example. Read their stories. Hear their stories. Be discipled by their example. And if you think about it, that's one of the things that happens in this church. It really is. We join together. If we're Christians, we join together, we read God's word together, we sing his praises together, we pray for each other, we link arms together in this battle that we're in, the battle for our mind. We help those who are struggling, we're encouraged by those who are, who are victorious. That's what we do as a church. And we don't do all of this because this is what good Christians do. We do all of this because Jesus is worth it. Because Jesus himself is so lovely. And when we do this, we take control of our mind, and we learn from those who have walked a little further down the road in Christian living than we have. He says, the God of peace will be with you. Is there anyone in this room who does not want peace? That's the one thing all of us want. And he says, if we'll take captive our thoughts, the God of peace will be with us. And there's only one way that we have peace, and that is through Jesus Christ the Prince of Peace, who embodies in himself all of those things that we read here. Pure and lovely and commendable and praiseworthy and true and honorable. He's the picture of all of that. And on the cross, Christ died to make enemies into friends, to make people who are separated from him into part of his family. Because without that, there is no peace. There's temporary relief. But the God of peace will be with us. God's everywhere. He's always present. But when Paul says this, he's thinking Old Testament. He's thinking shalom, flourishing. God of peace can be with us. God of peace can be here. I don't know a better way to end a sermon like this than to take communion. I really don't. So deacons, help us if you would go and prepare these elements. Because when we take that little cup and we take that piece of bread, we put our minds on the greatest act of love ever. Sacrifice of the Son of God for us. We take control. We take captive those thoughts. And we remember him. So as these men begin to serve us these elements, you'll take a piece of bread, you'll take a 
cup, and if you would just hold them until everybody has been served. And while you're waiting to be served or after you have been served, take a moment and just say to the Lord, Lord, these are things on my mind right now. This honors you, and thank you for the Holy Spirit's guidance, for this does not honor you. Take a moment, just take a look at your life through the lens of God's Word. By the way, if you would like gluten-free or if you'd like a prepackaged communion um, piece, they're right at the very back in the bag. Just feel free to walk on back and pick that up if that would be helpful to you. So, man, if you would just begin to serve us. We put our minds on he who is right and pure and honorable, commendable.